don't go just yet, if you could wait. I love that video, though. It illustrates what we learned as little children, right? The church is not the steeple. It's the people, right? We are the church. In fact, the Greek word that we find in the New Testament for church is ekklesia. It literally, literally means gathering, assembly, congregation, church. And we as the church are the sent people of God. For Jesus, the risen Jesus, appears to his disciples. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 21, we read, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the church, we are the sent people of God, sent by God to be a light of his love wherever we are, wherever we go. We as a church, First Presbyterian Church, tries to live out this biblical understanding of being the sent people of God through our strategy of serve. And specifically, as we look at serving, we talk about the value of missional living, living as a missionary sent by God, because we believe every member of our congregation is a missionary sent by God wherever we are, wherever we go. Richard Halverson, uh, the former U.S. chaplain uh, to the U.S. Senate and a very successful minister, was once asked at the end of his career what he believed was his greatest contribution to the church. Now, Richard Halverson had had a very successful career as a minister. He was an associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood, where he helped his disciple, Bill Bright, uh, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He spent 23 years as the senior minister of the Fourth Presbyterian Church of Bethesda, Maryland. And later, he was the chaplain to the U.S. Senate for 13 years, where he helped lead the National uh, uh, Prayer Breakfast. And he authored 15 books. But when he was asked what he believed was his greatest contribution to the church, he said, my benediction. Now, the benediction is the blessing that we as pastors typically give at the very end of the service. I most often quote 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. It's the very last verse of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth where he says, and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. I usually quote that, but every Sunday, Richard Halverson would say the very same benediction. Listen to this benediction from Richard Halverson. You go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God is sending you there. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ, who indwells in you, has something he wants to do through you, wherever you are. Believe this and go in his grace and love and power Amen. I love that opening line, you go nowhere by accident. As Presbyterians, we understand that God is sovereign. He is very much in control and very active in this world and in our lives, leading us, directing us where he would have us go as we seek to follow him. And we know that we have been sent out ultimately to be a light of his love. So how can we make sure that his light shines brightly through us today. To find out, I would encourage you to turn in your Red Pew Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. It may be found on page 1029 of your Red Pew Bible. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. But before I read God's word, let's call upon His Spirit again to guide us in the reading and the preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, 
We thank you, Lord, that you would call a tax collector like Matthew to come and follow you. And then Matthew would put pen to paper so that we might have your written word today, that we might have the very words of Jesus that you spoke while preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Oh God, we pray now that as we read your word, you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that you might open our hearts, that we might be forever changed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Matthew chapter five, beginning with verse 13. Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now our text this morning, if you have a Bible like mine, it's all in red. Uh, It's Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount and we get a sense of the crowd that is listening to Jesus in Matthew chapter four, verse 23 to 25. We get a brief description of the kinds of people that were following Jesus when he gave this wonderful Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25, we read, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now this brief description of the kinds of people that were following Jesus lets us know that this is not the who's who of Jerusalem or Judea or Galilee. These were the paralytics, the epileptics, the people who had seizures. These were the demon-possessed. These were the poor, the broken, the sick, the ill. And sadly, in that day... Most of these Jews have been told that, well, that their illness, their paralysis, and their epileptic seizures, and their demon possession were, were a result of their own sin, that God was punishing them for their sin, and that's why they were sick and hurting. But then these people meet Jesus, and he heals them. And he begins to preach the kingdom of God to them, and he invites them to come and and join him on this wonderful journey as he seeks to help point others to the reign of God. As he begins to preach this powerful sermon where he looks these broken people in the eyes and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And in Matthew 5, 1 to 12, we have the wonderful Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount where where Jesus begins to paint a a description of what, what characterizes the people who are in the kingdom of God people who are poor in spirit, who are desperate for God, are the kinds of people that God welcomes in his kingdom. People who mourn that life is not the way that it ought to be, those are the kinds of people that God welcomes into his kingdom and he offers them comfort and peace. It's the meek, the humble that God welcomes into his kingdom. It's the people who thirst and hunger for righteousness. It's the the people who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who, who are peacemakers, who seek to bring peace where there is discord, those are the people who are a part of the kingdom of God. And then in our text this morning, Jesus invites these poor, broken people who have recently been healed by Jesus, and he invites them to, well, to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now notice closely, it says here that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The implication is that without you, there won't be any salt and there won't be any light because you are the salt and you are the light. There isn't a salt and a light. It's the light and the salt. These poor, broken people are supposed to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. In fact, the Greek word for world here is cosmos. We get the the English word cosmos from cosmos. You are the light of the cosmos of all of creation. But how? How are these poor, broken people going to be a light of the cosmos, the salt of the earth? What does Jesus mean by this, these statements exactly? Well, salt in the first century had two primary purposes. It helped preserve meat and it helped season food. It was the primary seasoning for food When Jesus tells the crowd that you are the salt of the earth, he is telling them and us that as his followers, we are called to be distinct, different. We are called to help resist the moral decay of this world. Because as followers of Jesus, we we know that from Genesis chapter one, the very first chapter of the Bible, that when God created all of creation, it was good. But then on the sixth day, he created humanity in his very image. And he said, it is very good. We We were very good when we were first created. But then by Genesis three, our first parents, Adam and Eve, commit that original sin of, of, of disobedience and Well, that original sin helped corrupt all of creation and that we have now inherited a a sinful nature that left our own is is prone to wander from God. It's prone to rebel against God. And God is telling us that as his followers, we can be the salt of the earth. We can help preserve what God originally intended when he created us, when we were very good, when Adam and Eve were were humbly walking with God in the garden in perfect communion with him, living in obedience to him. Yes, we are called to reclaim that as the salt that helps preserve what God originally intended for creation. We are called to act justly, as the prophet Micah tells us, to act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. You know, historically, Christians have led the way when it comes to acts of justice and mercy. Christians were the ones who who worked diligently to abolish slavery around the world. Christians were the ones who helped build orphanages to care for all these orphans. The the church was welcoming and receiving orphans while others were casting them out. The church said, we must build orphanages to care for these orphans, to care for those who have no parents. 
The passing of child labor laws in this country were led by Christians. The ban of partial birth abortion was started and led by Christians. The assistance on prison reform was led by Christians. Our development of hospice care was led by Christians. Because as we read the Bible, we can see that every life matters. That all of us were created in the very image of God and we need to do all that we can to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Yes, to be salt means that we are called to resist the moral decay of this world and to stand up for God's original intent for creation by loving everyone as God has first loved us. As a church, we want to be known as salt. We want to be a church that's that's known for making a difference in our community. Non-believers may not agree with our theology, but when they look at what we do as a church, they can say, wow, that that church is is making a difference in our community and around the world. Today, uh, contemporary church consultants will often ask a church to kind of challenge them to think about outreach. They said, if your church somehow disappeared, would your community miss you? If your church no longer existed, would your community miss you? If our church disappeared, I'm quite confident that many in our community would miss us. After all, we give 16% of our operating budget to to local and global missions. If you go in the Great Hall, you can see the, the map of the world, and we have red dots where we have missionaries that we're supporting all over the globe, and we've got a list of, of local ministry partners, 24 local mission partners that we help finance, and we give volunteer hours to to help them minister to our community. It's assault. We want to be the kind of church that, well, that if we were gone, people would miss us. Because as salt, we are called to be instruments of mercy and grace. We are called to bring the flavorful joy of Christ to this world. The truth is, a little salt can make any dish better. I've never really liked green beans, but my mom kept cooking them. So I discovered that if I get enough salt, they taste all right. Salt makes every dish, just the right amount of salt makes any dish a little bit better. And as salt, we are called to, to bring the flavorful joy of Christ here into this world. As Nehemiah once said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. When people look at us, do they see the joy of the Lord in us? Do, do we make people feel better just by being in our presence, by, by loving them as Christ has loved us? For the Apostle Paul says in Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and, and self-control. When people look at us, do they see that love and that joy, that patience, that peace, that gentleness, that self-control? You know, when I was a freshman in college, uh, there was a senior named Jeff Morris, and he had always had a big smile on his face. He was a very joyful, jovial guy, and you just wanted to be with him. And, And when you were with him, he made you laugh, and he made you smile. And as I got to know Jeff even better, I realized that his greatest love in life was Jesus, that he really did have the joy of the Lord, and it It was attractive. People wanted to be near him as they experienced the love of the Lord through him. Does that describe us? Do we have the joy of the Lord? Because that is our strength. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be salt. We are called to be distinct. We're called to be different from the world. We are salt, called to serve as a preservative against the moral decay of this world. And we're also called to bring the joyful flavor of Jesus to a hurting world As the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.15, 
in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do we exude the hope of the Lord? Because as followers of Jesus, we are different. We grieve differently. We live differently. One of the reasons that I had uh, Gary read just a moment ago, uh, Daniel, is the story of Daniel when he's in Babylon living in exile. Daniel was faithful to God and he lived differently. Now, he had to adhere to certain dietary restrictions. Most likely, scholars tell us that they were trying to have them eat pork and they would not eat pork. I'm grateful that as Christians, we don't have to worry about dietary restrictions because I love bacon. It makes every meal better. But uh, just like salt. Anyway, probably going for heart disease here pretty soon. But nonetheless, Daniel was faithful to God's call and, and he lived differently. And others saw the difference in him. But most importantly, they saw the wisdom of the Lord in him. And they wanted to be guided by that same wisdom. We are called to be distinct, different, to live according to the wisdom of, of God's word. And the Bible helps us see that no matter how, no matter how hard this life become, we know that, well, that Jesus is with us and the Holy Spirit is in us and nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But the good news is we've read the, the final chapter of the book and we know that we're on the winning team, that we will be glorified with Jesus one day because our God reigns, amen? amen. So death doesn't have the final say for us. We don't live in fear of death. We wait for Christ's return with joyful anticipation. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The sad reality is that we live in a dark and fallen world where sin abounds, and light always represents truth and hope in the Bible. Of course, we are the light of the world because ultimately the light of all, Jesus, indwells in us. For in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Our light originates from Jesus. On our own, we cannot be the light of the world. And we've got to connect to Christ. And, and ultimately, because Jesus is the source of our light, then the closer we are to Christ, the brighter his light shines through us. It's very similar to the moon. You know, the moon doesn't generate its own light. It simply reflects the light of the sun. Well, we reflect the light of the S-O-N. So how is our light shining today? Are we like a crescent moon? You know, a little bit of sun shining forth. Maybe we're a half moon. Half the time we, we shine the light of Christ. Or maybe we're a full moon where the light of Christ radiates from us and others can, can see that light shining through us. The only way that we can reflect that kind of light, though, is that if we draw near to Christ. We draw near to Christ and we pursue him passionately. Today, we draw near to Christ through prayer and corporate worship as we're doing today, but also spending time reading his word, reading the teachings of Jesus. In fact, I would encourage you, if you've never done this before, read the Sermon on the Mount every day for a week, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's only three chapters. Just read it every day for a week. See how God doesn't use that, how, how the words of Jesus will begin to penetrate your heart and you'll begin to cease things differently. You'll find that you begin to act 
differently. You begin to live more like Christ. For the Sermon on the Mount makes it clear that we are we're called to be humble, not proud, merciful, not judgmental, trustworthy, not unreliable, forgiving, not vengeful, peacemakers, not divisive, generous, not greedy, loving, not angry, prayerful, not self-sufficient, peaceful, not worrisome. We are called to be unique, different from the ways of this world. And notice that Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 16, I'll read it again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus isn't saying we're supposed to live apart from the world and in a holy huddle all the time where it's just the church gathered together. No, we are called to be the church scattered, living among others in this world so the light of Christ might shine through us and they might see our good deeds and give praises to our Father who's in heaven. So what are these good deeds? What are these good works that we're called to do exactly? Well, if you read the whole Sermon on the Mount, you can see that the good works of, of Jesus that God's calling us to do is that we're called to, to demonstrate love and forgiveness, not anger. The good works that Jesus is talking about is being the kind of people who, whose yes is yes and whose no is no, that we are reliable people, in, people of integrity, people that others can trust. The good works that Jesus is talking about is making sure that we seek reconciliation whenever there's discord, that we humbly take the log out of our own eye rather than looking at the speck in our brother's eye, that we offer mercy rather than judgment. The good works that Jesus is talking about is making sure that we go the extra mile for that neighbor who is in need. The good works that Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount is that we become the kind of people who who turn the other cheek when we are insulted. We don't fight back. Rather, we respond with love and and offer prayers of forgiveness and and pray for those who hurt us and, and pray for those who wound us, whether it be verbally or socially. It's the good works that Jesus is talking about is that we are the kind of people who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness above all else that we faithfully and passionately pursue him. The good works that Jesus is talking about is ultimately that we're the kind of people who live out the golden rule, who seek to treat others the way that we would like to be treated if we were them. So how do we get there? I mean, we can read the instructions and say, yeah, that's what I need to do, but it's not always easy to do. How can we make sure we're the kind of people who turn the other cheek, who offer prayer rather than uh, Arguments when someone insults us. We're the kind of people who are quick to forgive, quick to listen, quick to pray for those who persecute us. I believe the only way that we can become the kind of people who, who turn the other cheek when we're insulted or the kind of people who, who pray for our enemies or pray for those who have hurt us is if we'll remember that Jesus did that for us. That Jesus, who was without sin, became sin for us and took the insults and the beatings and ultimately the crucifixion for our sins and while hanging on the cross, prayed, 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My friends, as we reflect on the cross of Christ, the unconditional love of Christ, the more that we focus on that, as Paul said to the church in in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that while he was with them, he claimed to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. As we reflect on the cross of Christ, the love and the unconditional love of Christ, that will begin to shape our identity. And we'll be the kind of people who can offer forgiveness and grace Recognizing how many times we've been forgiven and how Jesus paid the price for our sins and he prayed for those who persecuted him and and we should, should do the same. We should offer forgiveness and grace and pray for those who've hurt us in the past. Yeah, I think the key to becoming the kind of people who live out the Sermon on the Mount is by focusing on Jesus, drawing near to the light of Christ and in his light and in his love, that will be ultimately what defines us. And we will reflect that light to a dark and hurting world. You know, salt was never meant to just simply stay in a salt shaker, was it? We don't light lamps in order to cover them, do we? As German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who bravely spoke out against Hitler in the midst of Nazi Germany, knowing that it would lead to his own imprisonment and probably death, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, a community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. If we try to hide ourselves, we've seeked to follow him. I believe the greatest temptation of the church today is simply to blend in to become like the world rather than to be distinct or to remain in a holy huddle where we never engage the world with the unconditional love of Christ. Yes, we are called to be out in the world, to be salt and light, to help, to help re- stop the moral decay of this world, to help lift up the love of Christ by being people of grace and forgiveness, by, by bringing the, the joyful uh, love of God into our world so that people can see the hope that we have and they want to know why. And then we can tell them the good news about God's love that we find at the cross of Jesus. I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Please listen to this. Let me tell you why you're here. This is why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out God's colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're we're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to be open up with God this generous Father in heaven. I love that first verse. Let me tell you why you're here. My friends, we are here on this earth to be salt and light, to point others to the unconditional, sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. How will your light shine this week? For wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there and he wants to do a work in and through you so that your light might shine to others, that others will see your good deeds and give praises to our Father who's in heaven. Please join me as you pray.
Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the good news of your son who invites us to be salt and light. Lord, we know that on our own, we can't generate light, but you are the light of the world. And so as we draw near to you, your light shines through us to others. Oh God, help us to be the kind of people who are salt, who are light, who help resist the moral decay of this world, who, who bring the joyful seasoning of Christ into this world, who help point to the unconditional sacrificial love of Christ in the way that we love others, in the way that we put the needs of others before our own, in the way that we seek to live out the golden rule.